0: This is People Every Day. Coming up...
1: I am deeply sorry. I'm sorry to Rachel Lindsay, and I'm sorry to the black community.
0: Embattled Bachelor host Chris Harrison's latest appeal. Plus, Congressman Madison Cawthorn's history is called into question, and an inspiring chat with a young CEO named Maya Penn. It's March 4th. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Thursday, y'all. This is People Every Day presented by Macy's. It's me, Janine Rubenstein, here to walk, uh, talk you through the biggest, buzziest news of the day. Um, I don't know if I told you guys, but I'm recording out of LA this week, hence me not lamenting the weather every other episode. It's just sunny with a chance of celebrity out this way, so all is good. Uh, Later on in the episode, I catch up with Gen Z phenom, entrepreneur, CEO, and just all around girl boss. Maya Penn, who opens up about starting her first company at 8. eight. And she's in her early 20s now and has already given three TED Talks. So stick around for that inspiration. Um, right now, though, it's time for top stories and one that is standing out Above the rest is, yet again, The Bachelor's Chris Harrison, opening up to Good Morning America about his racially insensitive comments in defense of current contestant Rachel Kirkinell. Comments he made to the franchise's first black bachelorette, Rachel Lindsay, essentially trying to excuse Kirkconnell's past behavior. So joining me now is Deputy West Coast Editor Eileen Nahas and People.com's Morgan Evans, both Bachelor Nation specialists <laughs> here to dissect this new interview. How are you guys? Hi. Great. Great. Hi, Janine. Good to be here. Hi, hi, hi. Wonderful to have you. Uh, So, okay, this controversy just keeps on going. Um, First things first, let's listen to some of what Chris Harrison told Michael Strahan today on GMA.
1: I am saddened and shocked at how insensitive I was in that interview with Rachel Lindsay. And I didn't speak from my heart. And that is to say, I stand against all forms of racism and I am deeply sorry. I'm sorry to Rachel Lindsay, and I'm sorry to the Black community.
0: Hmm. Ali, what do you think this interview accomplished for Harrison at this point?
1: It left a lot of people wanting a little more from this. Uh, Immediately, in fact, after Michael Strahan finished the interview, he commented that it felt like a surface-level apology. I think people really were wanting a little more context. And already on Twitter, on social media, people are are not happy with, with this apology. You know, it sounds a little contrived. A lot of people saying it seemed scripted. You know, Chris obviously wanted to come away with this come away from the interview with people having an understanding, forgiving him, or at least getting to the point of, okay, well, we can move forward. And it doesn't seem like he might, he accomplished what he was going after in this case. For sure. I mean, you wanted just a little bit of explanation of like,
0: or, or just a little awareness little context. And how. Yeah. A little yeah. more depth. Like, Exactly. And it was just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Morgan, you recently interviewed Rachel Lindsay about her thoughts on how the franchise is handling all of this and Chris Harrison. Um, What did she have to say? And and how do you think his comments today will will go over with her?
2: Well, it'll definitely be really interesting to see if she comes out with a response to this today. Um, I interviewed her about two to three days before actually hearing that she had Deactivated her social media due to harassment from Bachelor Nation, and she talked to her co-host on her Higher Learning podcast on Tuesday, Van Lathan, about you know why she made the decision to deactivate her account, and said that for at the time she just felt like for it was for her and it was for her mental health and. Um today on Good Morning America, Chris also addressed that. And he did say that he had reached out to Rachel after the extra interview. And Rachel confirmed that when she talked to me as well. She said that he did reach out to apologize, you know, to her directly. Um, but yeah, it will definitely be interesting to see how she takes this and in terms of what people are also saying on social media. And I know that Chris also used today as an opportunity to tell people to stop harassing Rachel and he did clarify you know I'm not the victim here I'm the one who made the mistake and like Rachel shouldn't be receiving you know the negative side of this
0: for sure and that's just mind-boggling to me that somehow she is being <laughs> pinpointed in all of this <laughs> yeah For for what for 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 literally just saying you know no Chris, uh, the antebellum parties weren't cool in 2018. you know, uh, so I want to you, you mentioned it, Ali, but I thought it was so interesting what Strahan said at the end of the interview, um, he, having handled it with him. So let, let's listen to into exactly what what his takeaway was.
1: You guys know his, his apology is his apology, but it felt like it got nothing more than a surface response on any of this. And obviously he's the man who wants to clearly stay on the show. But only time will tell if there is any meaning behind his words.
0: Hmm. So you hear, you know, Chris Harrison almost imploring, like, don't fire me. <laughs> like, I want to be, you know, a part of this franchise going forward. But it
1: just seemed like straight hand. Yeah. Yeah, he has been. I mean, this has been his show for two decades and he's been the face of it. And he clearly, you know, wants to move forward, wants to, you know, believe that he, he wants to make changes and he wants the franchise to make changes. But the situation is now that that it's. A case of, is it too little, too late? What what do we really need in order for this franchise? Which has been criticized for a long time, long before Rachel Lindsay, long before certainly Matt James for their lack of diversity, for their lack of representation. But you know, behind the scenes, this show, they are trying to make changes. They are, we've spoken to people who are saying they are working behind the scenes. They need to make proper moves. No one wants this show to go away. They want it to kind of rise to the occasion and really reflect. The world the way it is
0: now. For sure, for sure. You guys, thank you so so much for getting into this to me and getting into this with me and and, and breaking it down because it, it it does keep evolving. And I know we're all going to be watching, you know, the 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 end of the season with Emmanuel Acho and see yes. what he does with this and and takes it into the future. So I really yeah. appreciate you being being
1: here. Yeah, good to talk to you. I am back
0: now with Digital Politics editor Adam Carlson to help untwist and 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 unwind this crazy saga surrounding Madison Cawthorn a congressman in the Republican party who is in the center of one of just the the biggest political uh, conundrums we have going on right now. So Adam tell me just explain to everyone who Madison
3: Cawthorn is and, and why he is all over my timeline. It's truly a yarn to untangle here. So I think we need to set the scene a little bit for for listeners about Madison Cawthorn. He's one of the youngest congressmen in history. And the story of his surprise victory last year, the story of his rapid ascent in national politics, traces all the way back to a really harrowing crash that he survived seven years ago that left him partially paralyzed and in a wheelchair. And the years since then of adversity and recovery blend together into a story about conservative principles and optimism and a hope for the future and being a fresh face for the Republican Party. This is what Madison would tell you. And this is what brings him to his campaign last year to come out of nowhere and uh, win his primary against the candidate the Republican Party had had gotten behind. And then he cruised to victory. He won by 12 percent. And now he uh, he's in Congress. He's barely 20%. 25, which is the cutoff, and he styles himself as the next face for Congress, a Congress that is dominated by people who've been in office for decades. And he says, now is the time for someone new. Um, But as that turns out, he's the messenger for something new. A lot of people have questions about the messages and the stories that he's been telling. And as we've learned this week, there are a lot of discrepancies in those stories.
0: Yeah, let's, let's dig into that. So that crash, that crash that literally kind of set the scene for, for who he is today, um, is being called into question. The details of that, that horrific car crash that he was in. His friend Brad Ledford, uh, is basically saying that the story
3: that Madison has told about this crash isn't completely true, right? Right. So it's, it's a weird thing how this is all unspooled this week. The crash is almost exactly seven years old. It happened in April of 2014. And no one spoke about it publicly except for Madison for years. And then Brad spoke out this week to give his version of events. And what's important about that is that Brad was the one who was driving. Brad was the one who was driving them home um, from a spring break trip. And he's the one who has the rest of the story. And so Brad spoke out this week for the first time ever. Um, He spoke out in a Washington Post article And then he gave a lengthy interview to us Yeah,
0: let's get into it Because, okay, Madison's spine was crushed He he broke vertebrae, he lost a kidney He broke his pelvis, he was burned You know, all of this And he has gone on to tell the story of, of how at that moment, at the moment of the crash, he was left in the car to die in a fiery tomb. This is something he said in 2017 that his friend that was driving left him. And so now Brad has come
3: out this week and said, no, I didn't leave them, right? Right. Not only that, Brad is backed up by extensive court documents and um, an accident report and accounts from Madison's own family at the time. And frankly, none of this would have become public had it not been for Madison's success and had it not been for the speech he gave in 2017. That is very gripping and frankly, almost cinematic the way that he describes for his audience the SUV they were in barreling through a concrete barrier, the friction igniting the gas line and how in Madison's telling, Brad left him to die, like you said, and then Madison was declared dead at the scene and pulled from the the flaming car by bystanders. That's not true, Brad says. And and again, Brad is, is corroborated here. Brad says they were, you know, as close as two people could be at the time. And he had fallen asleep. He says, as soon as he woke up and realized what happened, he knocked out the passenger side window of the car and pulled Madison to safety. And the mm. highway patrol on the scene says that um, you know Madison wasn't declared dead. Madison suffered horrific injuries, like you say. Um, and so you begin to see these little discrepancies in the story. Yeah. All of it's which kind of big discrepancies, right? Yeah, lead to this idea that he was left to die by a friend.
0: And Adam, this isn't even the only. Con- Controversy he's been wading through, right? He's been accused of sexual misconduct, multiple allegations of sexual misconduct. So, what can you tell me about that?
3: I think that what's interesting about his future is how he contends with these questions of his youth and his background. To detail a bit about the allegations you talked about, when he was running last year, uh, students and alumni from his small college in Virginia, which he attended um, briefly, circulated an open letter, a kind of extraordinary open letter detailing what they said was this misconduct, which he denies, we should say. But um, it's, you know, it's accounts from, from multiple women who say he made them uncomfortable, who made unwanted sexual advances. One woman remembered how he tried to kiss her, physically moved her face toward him. And they wanted to describe this as someone who had character unfit for office. And he said, that was something where I was still learning and evolving and growing up. Unfortunately, that's one episode now of several episodes. You have that next to this discrepancy about the crash. There had been questions about how he described whether or not he'd gotten into the Naval Academy when he was younger. This is just one
0: thing after the other, Adam. I... I I can see this, uh, you know, once these floodgates open, uh, you, you can almost see more coming. So th- this will be interesting to watch how this how this affects his, his career and his trajectory. Uh, thank you so much for breaking it down for me.
3: No, of course. I mean, it really is one of the wilder stories and where his future goes next. I mean, he wants himself to be a face. The question is, what's beneath it?
0: Mm,
3: I love that.
0: Next up, Gen Z entrepreneur, Maya Penn, on what it means to follow your passion, all of your passions. Stay tuned.
4: Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most
1: trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. Armorall, Less work, more clean. Terms apply.
0: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey... If you're in need of some inspiration, the young woman I'm speaking with next can deliver that in spades. Maya Penn founded her first company, a clothing line called Maya's Ideas, at the ripe old age of eight. (laughs) She is now 21 and has become an award-winning activist and humanitarian, an author, a cartoonist, and a three-time TED speaker. So take that for whoever has anything to say about Gen Z. (laughs) Maya, how are you doing? I'm
4: great, Janine. Thank you so much for having me on the show
0: no this is awesome I'm just going through your resume I mean at this age it's so colorful and inspiring like were you one of those kids who when they asked you what you wanted to be in school you wrote down everything
4: I mean I you basically could boil it down to that I always had a lot of various passions growing up as a kid Um, nature and the environment art and design animation And so I kind of utilize all of those different areas throughout my journey. When I started my business, all of those same themes of just giving back and creativity are really what tie everything together. Did anyone ever tell you, Maya,
0: focus? Like, no, you have to focus.
4: (laughs) You know, it's interesting. It's like a lot of people kind of see themselves in me and are and really appreciate the fact that I am kind of multi-hyphenate because our society you know, really zeroes in on, you know, you have to do this one thing for your whole life and you're going to like it. And, and that's it, you know, instead of being able to explore all of the various passions that you have. Um, so, you know, like even with starting my sustainable fashion line in 2008, my Ideas, I took two separate passions that I have, a passion for art and design, a passion for the environment, and I combine them into one sustainable fashion company. You know, all, all of that being said, I think especially now since the pandemic people are really learning to pivot you know as Mm -hmm. well and are having to explore the different facets of themselves to figure out how they can make things work you know a lot of people said they appreciate me not diluting the different areas of everything that I do.
0: I appreciate that I mean goodness so how do you do all like I just want to know like what is a day in the life of Maya Penn when you have all those different pots on the fire?
4: I've kind of gotten into such a flow with all of it. And every day is is pretty different. Um, sometimes I'm just, you know, working, focusing more in on my nonprofit work, you know, because of the pandemic, we've really zeroed in even more on uh, donating masks to, you know, women and children's uh, shelters to you know, healthcare facilities in other countries like Senegal as well. Wow! But I'm also working on an animated short film, for example. When do you sleep, Maya? When do you sleep? This mm-hmm. is so That's cool. That's a good
0: question. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about your speaking though. Three TED talks. Yes. Yeah. Take take me into one of them. Uh, maybe your first. Were there nerves? And 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 how do you prepare for something like that?
4: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm always. You know, have a little bit of nerves. And I mean, that's just being a human being. If you're if you're never nervous about anything, you're either like a robot or an alien. Um, (laughs) But, you know, like for my first TED talk, I kind of taught myself and, and and trained myself in a sense like. Um, in many ways, too, like I, I would, you know, be at home and I would turn up the TV like really loud while giving my speech so I could be ready in case I got distracted by something, you know, like nice. I, was, I was making up all <laughs> kinds of different tactics. And, you know, I'm a really <laughs> introverted person. Like the average person would not know this because of how often I'm public speaking and doing this work. But I mean, I've been public speaking since I was 11 years old. It's a skill that you have to, you know, kind of develop in in home. Yeah. You know and it's something that i'm really glad you know that i'm able to do because you know i think all young people should have an opportunity to have their voice heard and i'm really grateful that you know i can help inspire other people through my work you've inspired
0: so many people you've inspired oprah okay <laughs> what, what 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 was that relationship like what is what has she told you uh, what kind of advice has she given you and over these years
4: Yeah. So when I was 16, I became Oprah's youngest Super Soul 100. And um, she was totally, totally amazing. You know, she really was supportive of the work that I'm doing to to give back, you know, being part of that entire experience with, you know, other people who are part of Super Soul 100, like Zendaya, Ava DuVernay, like and meeting those people, it. It's totally mind blowing. Um, And Oprah is somebody I've always looked up to since I was really little. I've always had a picture of her like in my studio because I grew up watching her show. So, you know, (laughs) being able to to meet her and, you know, get her advice and support was super incredible.
0: That's great. So let's go. Let's go closer to home, though. Your support system. You have to think about the type of parents that create um, or or help mold. You know, someone who is inspiring as you are. So tell me a little bit about them.
4: Yeah. So my parents. First of all, I'm really grateful um, that I have parents who have. You know, always went along with all of my ideas and, and cheered me on. You know, like when I came to them at eight years old and said, I want to start my own fashion company, it was like, OK, figure out, you know, what you need to do to do that. Um, you know, my mom, she is super awesome. She's also, you know, extremely um, creative, entrepreneurial—you um, know, she's a musician, a women's health advocate, um, and you know, I, she's the one who I went to to learn how to sew. You know, and and. It's Mm -hmm. she's just, you know, been like my rock like through this this whole thing and you know, my biggest cheerleader. And my dad, you know, is kind of where I get a lot of my, I guess, kind of nerdy side from in a lot. He's very technical. And you know, he 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 never like, you know, like he never treated me like a girl. Like, you know, he showed me how to take apart a computer and put it back together again when I was like four years old. And like, you know, at by the time I was ten years old, I just went ahead and taught myself html and coded my first website because i just didn't have that fear of you know of, of technology like and you know when i wanted to start doing digital animated shorts he gave me his um his like old macbook and a drawing tablet i just started going from there so he's also been really you know awesome and, and instrumental in
0: this well so, so tell me does it leave time for dating does it leave time for love <laughs> like i mean 20 this is this, these are those years where dating is like so much fun that's true, long that's past true. in
4: my time but <laughs> to be completely like completely honest even though it doesn't seem like it in most professional settings, I'm one of the most awkward human beings alive. So it's <laughs> not like, at all. I'm still trying to navigate just interacting with guys in a way that seems a little bit cool just, just in a, on a personal <laughs> oh level. And, you know, I'm trying to make sure I'm like, mm-hmm. I've been taking a lot of time to, you know, focus in on just, being and just it sure. just kind of existing and you know like strategically prioritizing like my joy and, and rest and relaxation and you know stuff like that especially in your 20s i think you're still trying to figure out who you are as a person like you know yeah,
0: exactly so it's
4: like you know it, it's and
0: and this whole pandemic thing doesn't help, this so pandemic no thing pressure doesn't there. help.
4: but you know like <laughs> like a zoom date or something has less pressure to me personally so Just to everyone listening, multi-hyphenate
0: girl boss, Maya Penn is single (laughs) and looking. We're just going to put that out there. (laughs) Maya, thank you so, so much. It was just such a pleasure talking to you and hearing about everything you have going on. You are not awkward (laughs) at all. I just love this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank
4: you so much, Janine. You've been just a delight to talk talk with through this interview. This has been really fun. That, my friends,
0: was Maya Penn. For more on her and other women changing the world, head over to People.com. And now, something to make you smile. 16-year-old Athena Tran was diagnosed with an incurable heart condition in 2015 called Restrictive Cardiomyopathy. She became eligible for the Make-A-Wish Foundation in 2017 just weeks before she was to receive a life-saving heart transplant. Make-A-Wish ended up giving her $5,000, but guess what she did with it? Listen.
2: I quickly realized that there wasn't anything I wanted more than giving back to the people who helped me through the hardest time in my life. Tran turned
0: around and donated the money back to the Packard Children's Hospital at Stanford that treated her. Uh, Thank you for how kind they were during her treatment. See, it's true. What goes around comes around. Talk to you tomorrow.